0: Hi, Govanen, welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel, I'm the Tolkien Geek, and those of you who have been around my channel long enough know that I am not a huge fan of the way Cinema treats the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, including Peter Jackson's Hobbit movies, because there's plenty to criticize about those, but Cinema manages to criticize all the wrong things. And for all you pedantic types out there who just want to argue, it's just a joke, man, No, it's not. Cinema Sins is actually trying to do legitimate criticism in a funny way. Now, some of their criticisms are obviously legitimately jokes, right? And those I don't care about, and I will point out a couple of those in this video. But this is the video that they put out not too long ago on the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings, and in some ways, it's not as bad as the ones they did on Peter Jackson's films. So I'm. I don't think I'm going to have quite as many criticisms of cinema sins here and part of it is because they actually do stick mostly to jokes. <laughs> but if you've seen the ones that I did on the Peter Jackson movies, they do a lot of stuff that is clearly intended to be real criticism just dressed up in funny language or funny, you know, context to make it, you know, more amusing. But don't don't give me this line of it's just a joke. Not everything they do is just a joke. Some of the stuff they do is, and I will point out a few of those, like I said, but not everything that they do is just a joke. So, don't leave that comment. I already know you're going to do it, but don't do it. Just just don't. So, let's take a look at their video on everything wrong with the Lord of the Rings, 1979. Oh, fair warning, before we get started, I do have to remind everybody, I don't use language... But CinemaSins does, so if that's a problem, yeah, get the kids out of the room now.
1: Long ago, there was narration. In the early years of the Second Age. Which is less than helpful, considering I have no context for when the First to Third Ages were. This is like me telling an alien that I was born after the fall of the Roman Empire, but before Star Trek The Motion Picture.
0: Okay, so right off the bat, we have two criticisms. One of them... Pretty clearly is just a joke. I mean, if you're going to criticize the fact that there's narration, you're an idiot. And I, I assume Sins aren't complete idiots. So, that one I'm assuming is a joke. But then he says, which is unhelpful because I don't know when the first or third ages are. Okay. Like, that one seems to me like it's trying to be kind of a legitimate criticism. And it's stupid. Because you're not necessarily supposed to know everything when you jump into the middle of a fantasy story. Like you're not I mean Tolkien is one of the few instances where you actually get something from the very beginning where you get the Silmarillion, you get the creation story, and then you get all of the history. But nobody had that when Lord of the Rings was first published. And most fantasy stories aren't like that. You don't get that much context. But that's part of the point, is The Lord of the Rings gives you hints about this larger backdrop that it never gives you full details on. And that's part of what makes it so realistic. It creates the verisimilitude, which is one of the hallmarks of Tolkien's works. So that criticism is just dumb.
1: The great Elvin Smith's forged rings of power. Okay, but who wove the cheesecloth tapestry that is overlaid on the opening sequence? Why choose a cheesecloth filter? Was 1978 such a desperate time? Has
0: CinemaSins watched a lot of movies from the 1970s? The 1970s was actually kind
1: of bad for cinema in a lot of ways. Nine for mortal men. Seven for the dwarf lords. Seven? Really? For the dwarves? Whose idea was that and how much did Disney pay them? I really doubt there's any specific connection between
0: the number seven and dwarves that Tolkien got from Disney specifically because Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is actually a much older story than Disney and so acting like this is some kind of a Disney rip-off is dumb. Disney's entire business model is ripping off folk tales that are hundreds of years old.
1: <laughs> but then the Dark Lord learned the craft of ring-making... And made the Master Ring. Way to omit the part of ringmaking that requires an understanding of ancient magic and sh**. How many people suddenly wonder if they could take up a ringmaking class at the community college and become the Master of Master Rings? At least one!
0: <sighs> I honestly don't understand this. I, I, I don't. I don't understand what they're even trying to say. Are they trying to say that it's dumb that Sauron thought he could learn what ring making was and top everybody else, I mean, bear in mind, in the books, it's actually Sauron who teaches the elves how to make the rings, so that's where they get all their learning and know-how in the first place, but they're not criticizing on the basis of what's in the book, which they have done before, by the way, Uh, so I don't know what they're trying to say here, I mean, there's no reason why somebody shouldn't be able to learn a technology that another person has and then improve upon it. That's what scientific progress looks like in the real world. So I I don't I really don't
1: understand what they're trying to say here. With the one ring, Middle Earth is his, and he cannot be overcome. I mean unless someone, oh I don't know, chops off his finger.
0: Notice, of course, that the narration says, if he has the one ring. If you chop off his finger and he loses the ring, he no longer has the
1: one ring, does he? Dum-dum. He did not notice the heroic shadow who slipped in. Narrator then goes on to say the heroic Prince Isildur didn't destroy the ring, and so the darkness grew again, making the viewer confused as to why he is considered heroic in the first place. Granted, Bakshi does skip over a lot of narrative detail in this movie because
0: he is working with a very short time frame in which to cover half of the Lord of the Rings, And so some of that stuff is cut out. But the way that this goes, it does kind of imply that Isildur was killed fairly quickly after obtaining the ring. And there's no information given yet as to how to destroy it, how he could have destroyed it, whether he knew to destroy it. So you have to assume an enormous amount of stuff to make this a valid criticism. And those assumptions are not really valid. The fact that his silver was heroic and could cut the ring from Sauron's finger, that doesn't imply that he would then know, oh, I need to destroy this ring and I know how to do it and here's where and how to do it and all the other information. Heroes don't necessarily know all the things they need to know to do all the right things. Now, Again, if you want to refer to the book, Isildur did know because Elrond was there and advised him to do it, but didn't anyway, but Bakshi doesn't go there, and the CinemaSins isn't using the book, as again, they have done in the past with other movies, to criticize this. So, we only have what we have here, and what we have here does not tell us enough information to tell us that Isildur is not heroic because he didn't destroy the ring. For all we know, he just didn't know.
1: From the world, searching for the one ring. And after thousands of years, they never once thought to check the f***ing pond next to Isildur's place of death. Does anybody know where that is? Like, there's no
0: information in this movie to tell anybody that, oh, this is where Isildur died. Like, seriously, th- this is the problem with CinemaSins. They start with an assumption of everybody's omniscient and therefore they're all stupid for not doing what they obviously ought to do. But they're not omniscient. Characters are not omniscient. That's not how stories work.
1: Seriously. He used the ring for thieving and to find out secrets. But forget understanding how he did that. He just meant to pretend to understand how a ring can help you thieve and find secrets. We're only three minutes in, and I'm confident that before seeing this movie, everyone would do well to read the entire Tolkien trilogy and the Cimmerillion to make any sense of any of this. So, yeah, reading. Granted, again she does leave out a lot of information,
0: but we do get pretty early on in this story that the ring makes you invisible, so yeah, that's how it's used for thieving and finding out secrets. I mean, <laughs> I don't think we get it necessarily quite this early, but we're literally about to get it in the next few scenes where Bilbo disappears at his birthday
1: party, which, oh by the way, the birthday party? Here we go.
0: And though 111
1: years is... That's 111 years, thank you very much. That is a book-based
0: criticism. Now, it's... Yes, that one's a joke. They're joking about the fact that Ralph Bakshi did not use 111, or at least I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that that was a joke. I don't think they're actually being serious that that is a legitimate criticism of the, the movie. Um... But it's a joke, and it's based on the mo- the the fact that the book uses the term 11-D-1, which, of course, it's completely legitimate to do that, because Ralph Bakshi is trying to be very short, and he doesn't want to have to explain 11-D-1 to an audience not familiar with the term. In the book, of course, when you're reading it, 11-D-1 is... Like, you read the word, and you're like, wait, what is that? And then you look at it, and you're like, okay, I get it. In a movie, if you just kind of skip past that and don't explain it, which they don't really have time to do here then it would be bad. You know, it it could leave the audience confused and muddled like, wait, what? Whereas in the Peter Jackson movie, one of the things that you notice is that he says, he says, today is my 111th birthday. Alas, 111 years is too far too short a time. So he gives us the explanation up front, 111th birthday, and then he says 111 years, so that we know what he means by that and we're not lost as an audience. So... This is a joke criticism. At least I'm assuming it's a joke criticism. And that's why I'm pointing it out, because sometimes they do make criticisms that are legitimately jokes. But assuming it's not a legi- uh, a le- joke criticism just for sake of argument, it's a bad criticism for that reason.
1: South feet. Having the flexibility to independently move your toes like this. That one is pretty clearly a joke. So, yeah.
0: It's mine now, and I shall keep it! Bringing a sword to a wizard fight! Wait, what wizard fight? We have not established that Gandalf is a wizard yet, I don't think. Maybe we have. I don't remember exactly how quickly we learned that Gandalf is a wizard in this story, but I don't think we've learned it to this point. So saying that we've brought brought a sword to a wizard fight is kind of silly. We also don't know what wizards can and can't do in this story. By the way, if you read the book, which they clearly have, and which they are using as a reference point and are saying that you should read before watching this movie because a lot of information is left out then you will know that Gandalf does not cast fireball so is it really that useless to bring a sword to a wizard fight most of Gandalf's fighting is done with a sword actually
1: falling asleep with an open fire when you literally live under a tree okay it's in a
0: fireplace underground where it can't go anywhere like I am not. Sh- I really am not sure this one is supposed to be a joke, so saying this to me just sounds pedantic and silly. It's like, oh, you have a fire and you live under a tree. Well, yeah, he lives under a tree, he lives in the ground, and there are no roots, and the chimney presumably is not going up through the tree. Like, what is the point of this criticism other than to just be nitpicky for the sake of nitpickiness? And even then, you have to assume so much information that you
1: don't have... To make the nitpick actually valid stupid using a paper book as a candle stand and to top it off positioning this candelier underneath a fucking wooden tree branch how has the shire not burned down multiple times by now ah
0: yes the old using a candle to burn down an entire tree wait that doesn't actually happen also it's not 100 percent clear that that's a tree branch it's probably not a tree branch it might be a tree root but More likely, it's, like, carved wood or something. But even if it's a tree root, a candle isn't going to light that on fire, especially at that distance. Also, the candle on top of the book, fire doesn't leap from candles down to what the candle is sitting on. There's a thing that it's sitting in to catch the wax, which is the only thing that would come off the candle anyway. Like... Maybe they are trying to be jokey with this because the criticisms are so absurd it's hard to take them seriously. I don't know. You desire it so much already.
1: More important question. Did you leave it with him for 17 years and forget to mention that perhaps he shouldn't play around with a ring that could be tied to the darkest evil force ever to be known in all of Middle Earth?
0: Again, you're assuming an enormous amount of detail. Boxy just does not give us enough information to be that, knowledgeable at this point. Like, what does Gandalf know? When did he know it? That kind of information. In Peter Jackson, we at least get a pretty good idea that Gandalf is highly suspicious. Gandalf in the Bakshi film is suspicious, but it's not clear exactly what he's suspicious of. We only know that it's the One Ring because the narrator told us that, And we don't know the level of Gandalf's knowledge on the subject. So it's like accusing him of leaving the ring with Frodo for 17 years. That's, you know, I mean, again, you're just assuming tons of stuff. And this is one of the things that CinemaSins tends to do a lot of. They're like, plot hole! And the plot hole is really just, we didn't explain everything to a minute level of detail so that you could completely understand all the reasonings back and forth. Again, Bakshi is working with a very short time frame, and okay, maybe he could have done what Peter Jackson did and cut out the 17 years and made that make a little bit more sense to an audience, but he, the fact that he is leaving out some of the information doesn't
1: make it a plot hole, guys. That's not what a plot hole is. Under the power of Sauron, the dark lord of Mordor. More names! This is not a movie for regular people who are trying to ease into Lord of the Rings. I remember the first time I had to read the Bible all the way through and there were all these names to remember. But then I found out later that the story was actually written to be centered on Jesus. I feel like I'm re-experiencing that right now. Frodo is Jesus and everyone else I can forget about. Get on with it. Focus on Jesus. Frodo,
0: let's f- go! We've already learned about Sauron and I think we might have even gotten a reference to Mordor? Maybe not. But the fact that he's saying the Dark Lord of Mordor, we already know who Sauron is, so now we just know where he is, and therefore where we're going to end up going. Dropping that one additional name is not that hard, guys. Maybe this one is also meant to be just a joke, but it doesn't sound really like they're trying to be just a joke. I mean, it sounds like they're trying to be funny, but I think they're actually trying to criticize it, because they're saying, this is not a movie to ease into Lord of the Rings. I agree with that. I think if you hadn't already read the book, some of this would be confusing because of the amount of compression of the material that's going on. But that's not the hard part, dropping Mordor into this conversation. That's not actually hard.
1: So I guess we're skipping the part where Gandalf reads the script and confirms that this is, in fact, the One Ring. Wasn't that a really important step?
0: Granted, this one they do have a legitimate criticism because... Here he does throw the ring into the fire and there's like no apparent reason why he does that because he doesn't read the script that's supposed to be on the ring. So what was the point of it at the end of the day? Just to prove that it doesn't heat up? That's kind of weak.
1: Gollum left his cave to follow the ring himself and the Dark Lord caught him in Mordor. Okay, that explains how Sauron knows about the ring. But what the f*** was Gollum doing in Mordor? If he knew Bilbo took the ring, wouldn't his first stop during his 60 years of searching be the Bloody Shire? Or any place he knows hobbits live?
0: Again, the assumption of omniscience. Do you think Gollum knows where the Shire is? Do you think he knows where hobbits live? He's been in the mountain for how long? We don't know. Like... They just keep assuming omniscience on the part of the characters, and therefore everything they do is dumb because they should have done it smart. And it's like, we know better, why don't they know better? Well, because you're the reader and not the character, dummy. No! Do not tempt
1: me. But earlier when Gandalf handled the ring, that was okay. For reasons. Because Gandalf
0: wasn't planning to keep it, all he was doing was holding it to look at it. Now Frodo is offering to give it to him as a permanent possession
1: reason that's that's the, that's the reason i must go south now to consult with the wizard aroman yep he said Aramon instead of saruman and rumor has it they changed it because test audiences found it too confusing to have two villains starting with the letter s and in a beautiful turn of irony someone f***ed up and left in a load of sarumans anyway thus making it even more confusing than if they'd never bothered with aromon in the first place
0: yeah i mean yeah that's yeah that's a legitimate criticism santa okay Calling Saruman Santa here is actually clearly a joke, but it also is a legitimate
1: criticism, because why is he dressed in red when he's supposed to be Saruman the White? (laughs) You are saying that we should join with Mordor? Why does Saruman suddenly expose his evilness? I don't think he truly believed he could turn Gandalf, so doesn't it make more sense to keep him oblivious and continue to try and get the location of the ring out of him? What makes you think he doesn't actually think he can turn Gandalf?
0: That's precisely what he tries to do in the book. I mean, like, okay, I know the characters better than Tolkien does, even though Tolkien wrote them and their motivations and everything else, but I I just know better what they actually think, so this makes no sense.
1: Shut up. Gandalf and Saruman walk like their pelvises are upside down and their legs are attached with bungee cords. It makes me very uncomfortable, and I am concerned. That is actually... One thing that's
0: a little weird about this, and it might have something to do with the rotoscoping, it might just have something to do with the animation, but yeah, the way Gandalf walks throughout this movie is just a little bit weird.
1: In an impressive feat of time travel, a cartoon from 1978 based on a book published in 1954 manages to rip off the Dementors from Harry Potter. Now see, that one is clearly a joke. If the ring wraiths can get this f-ing close to the ring and still not find it, how the f*** were they ever going to get hold of it? Because the whole point was that being close to the ring bearer was supposed
0: to induce the ring bearer to put on the ring, which would have made it astonishingly obvious where the ring was. And that's how they find the ring. What Sauron and literally everybody else was not expecting was that anyone with the ring would resist putting on the ring, because... They didn't anticipate anybody being smart enough to realize that was a bad idea, or have the willpower to resist it long enough. And that's kind of the way the story goes: is every time there's a ring wraith nearby that could detect the ring, Frodo manages through either luck or fate or whatever to not put on the ring until Weathertop. And as soon as he puts the ring on at Weathertop later, bam! The ring wraiths know exactly where he is, and they're like, "Aha! There he is! Let's go get him." That's, that, that's why. Hey!
1: Allowing yourself to excitedly exclaim when only moments ago a horror was hunting you and is likely still near enough to hear you cheering.
0: Or we could assume that maybe he's not that close and because maybe more time has passed than what has just been shown on screen. Just like
1: we saw 17 years pass like that earlier, you know, maybe. Rotoscoping is absolutely a choice. It's a choice I respect, but on this occasion, it's also a choice that has provided a thousand times more nightmare fuel than I was prepared to deal with, at least without access to whatever awesome imbibements were available in the 1970s.
0: Okay, like, you know, if, if you like rotoscoping, fine. If you don't like rotoscoping, fine. But that's not a criticism, that's just a personal taste thing. Could they have done better with the rotoscoping? Probably, but I mean, that's down to how much they animated after the fact, not so much
1: that they used that technique by itself. We have some visitors with us tonight, all the way from the Shire. They f***ing told him where they came from? What good is a fake name if you're also giving out your damn home address? Yeah, because the Shire is so small that that's effectively your
0: home address. Have you people looked at a map? The Shire is a whole region. It's not just Bagshot Row, let alone is it just Bag End. How is that giving out your home address? You could give out a fake name and say you came from the Shire and nobody would even be able to check up on that without spending probably weeks going up and down the Shire visiting every home to make sure there's an actual Underhill living somewhere in the Shire.
1: Who's that? The Ringwraiths decide to pounce on Merry, fart in his general direction, and then politely off and for no discernible reason other than to give Frodo and the gang a heads up, which should not be their plan.
0: Yeah, here the, it is a little bit weird that the rates just wander off after they make Mary faint. In the book, of course, this is because somebody comes up on them while they're trying to, well, it, it's not even necessarily rates trying to carry off Mary. The ringwraiths, at least, are the ones that made him pass out. But they, whoever is trying to pick him up after the fact get scared off by the fact that searchers are actually out looking for Mary. So... Maybe that was originally supposed to be in the boxy film and it just got cut for time, who knows. But yeah, it, it is a little bit weird that here there's no explanation given at all for the ring rates actually leaving him there and not
1: doing something. Somehow this fall results in the ring dislodging itself from Frodo's pocket and landing on his finger in the space of about a half second. Yes, I know it has a sort of willpower, but if it can pull off this maneuver, why not jump its way onto Frodo's finger any time he puts his hand in his pocket? This is
0: actually a legitimate criticism because, yeah, I mean, clearly Frodo does not have his hands in his pocket. You can see that in the animation. And the way it's supposed to go down in the book is he has his hands in his pocket, and that's how the ring ends up on his finger because he's kind of messing around with the things in his pocket nervously as he's singing. And so, yeah, the the way they animate this makes it a little weird. It's like, really, we're supposed to expect that the ring from inside his pocket came out and just managed to end up on his finger? That,
1: that's a little much. So I'll give him that one. After your performance tonight, it won't matter what you call yourself. The Black Riders will know who you are by morning. Well, and um, just hear me out here. As their designated Strider, maybe you should have revealed yourself to them before said shenanigans occurred instead of lurking in the shadows and taking hits from your pipe.
0: Yeah, because he's not creepy looking at all either. I can take you to Rivendell by paths that are seldom
1: trodden. Insight check this man, Frodo. Everyone knows you cannot immediately trust the strange man cloaked in darkness. What if he were to rob them of their most precious items that he clearly already knows about? I mean, he won't. Well, he's Aragorn and a total badass, but they don't know that. Insight check him, Frodo. That's a joke, obviously,
0: a reference to like a and d thing, but... The overall point they're making seems to be a serious criticism, and it's like, but that is exactly what Frodo is doing. He is pondering what he's telling him and trying to sort out, are you with me, are you against me, are you with them, are you just somebody else? Why are you criticizing him for not doing what he's clearly actually doing in the moment, which is trying to figure out who Aragorn
1: is. Well, you do need looking after all of you. Odd for the tavern keeper to shift from these hobbits or asshole troublemakers to here let me help so quickly. That is suspicious. Insight check him, Frodo! Sorry, these fantasy movies are a brutal reminder of some major D&D blunders. So Barlow and Butterbur can't be upset that he broke his stuff, but also be concerned about his welfare at the same time? Like, are you human? <laughs> This cartoon was rated PG back in the 70s. PG! Kids would have had no f***ing clue that they aren't watching four cartoon hobbits being brutally stabbed to death, and we hang on this for a full 15 seconds. There was no PG-13 back then, after all. Wait, what is that? A braid on an avocado? Is that a dragonfly that smacked into the front of his helmet? Okay, this is no longer scary, it is sad. Super
0: sad. Okay, like, the design of that helmet is a little weird, I'll grant, but the color is... I don't know exactly what the color is supposed to be, but, I mean, one would assume that it has something to do with the fact that they're ghostly or something. It's not obviously
1: meant to represent, you know, whatever. What? Who cares? And Baron was a mortal man. And Baron begat Dior, who begat Euling, who begat Elros and Elrond, who begat Arwen, which is my boo, but she doesn't even appear in this movie, and I'm f***ing pissed.
0: Euling? Elwing if you're gonna go and actually criticize this story based on the book and the fact that Arwen's not
1: in it, you could at least
0: get Elwing's name
1: correct, you dummies. Also, Arwen's absence from this movie makes me wonder why she was in Jackson's Lord of the Rings in the first place, but making me question that is super f***ing sensitive. Okay, I think this one is mainly a
0: joke, but, look, the reason Arwen's not in this film is because this film is way too short to cover all that. And the fact that she's in Peter Jackson's film, they I think that was actually a smart choice to some extent. I don't think the way that they did it exactly was smart in all respects, but I think including Arwen was smart, because that is kind of an important part of the story, even if it is very much in the backdrop, and Peter Jackson had the time to do it. So, uh, why, why are you comparing a one-and-a-half-hour, like, maybe a little more than one and a half hours I forget the runtime of the boxy film but it's not very long and it covers the fellowship plus the first half of the two towers at least versus a you know, like the fellowship even in the theatrical run was three hours in Peter Jackson's runtime just by itself three hours twice as long almost as this and that's just the first book.
1: Why would you even think that they're going to be able to cover the same material? I really don't know why we're supposed to be scared of the Ringwraiths. After thousands of years of searching, they finally find the Ring, and instead of tearing Frodo to shreds while they have him surrounded, they send in this asshole, who only manages to inflict a slight armpit wound before being scared away by a man with no sleeves and some fire.
0: He only manages to get an armpit wound because Frodo is actively moving around, and he gets scared away by fire because they're not happy with fire. And as is explained in the book, I don't know if it's explained in Bakshi's film, I forget exactly, but the whole point is, it's like once we've stabbed him, it's like it's just a matter of time, he's going to succumb, and then he's going to become a wraith, and we're going to be good, so it's like, why stick around? Now, why did only the Witch King go in? We don't know who's the Witch King in the film, but, you know, just hear me out here. Why did he go in alone? Maybe so as to have the other guys, you know, just take care of other things and or maybe because he was the only one with the knife that could stab Frodo and leave a notch in it so that they could turn him into a wraith we don't know but like you're just assuming there's no reason and again just because you're assuming there's no reason because none is explicitly given doesn't make it a plot hole I think that a piece broke off in the wound and is working inward.
1: How the f*** does that happen? How is Frodo's flesh strong enough to break an evil demon sword, and why isn't this more surprising to Aragorn?
0: We're in a fantasy story with magic and stuff,
1: and you think that this is weird? Legolas! Aragorn has time for this extended reunion, while Frodo is literally dying on the back of a horse. See, this is one thing
0: that everybody gets wrong about this. It's like, Frodo is just dying on the horse. Well, no, there's... Like, they need to be quick, but that doesn't mean they have to be, like, sprinting at every single minute, because that's not really feasible either. There have to be some rest periods, because you can't go forever, especially when you're wounded and in really bad states. Like, this is not really a
1: problem. Do you understand me, Sam? Sam doesn't reply, which definitely means he doesn't understand. So here's a sin on Legolas for being an ass and not explaining it the simplest way. Which, of course, is to just say, I'm a timeless being. Stop being dumb and do what I say. How does Sam not replying make him
0: clearly... How does it... What? That clearly means he doesn't understand? Maybe it means he does understand. He's like, okay. You know, or maybe we just don't get his response because they're just skipping part of the story and you know not having like a long drawn out conversation because there's only like an hour and a half runtime for this movie.
1: Ah! <laughs> what the f*** did Aragorn think was gonna happen here? Okay so far the ring rates haven't been the most challenging of foes but bringing your feet to a horse fight is never a good idea. Okay granted this one was kind of silly
0: it's like Aragorn wouldn't be jumping out in front
1: of a horse with no weapon drawn no nothing and that is a little silly. I dubbed the LEGO derp, born of the greatest hybrid of elves, Siamese cats, and Vincent D'Onofrio's character from Men in Black.
0: Yeah, the animation of Legolas in this particular little segment is
1: one of the things that makes Ralph Bakshi's film just a little strange. Wait, where the f*** did everyone go? Frodo hasn't put the ring back on, so this isn't that weird Shadow Realm place. Where the hell did Legolas, Sam, Mary, and Pippin go? And why is it suddenly dark? Why am I not high right now? Are you so sure it's not the Shadow Realm? Frodo is almost there because of the wound in his shoulder, but I guess you don't care about that because you just like to nitpick for no good reason. Word to the wise, if you want to show off your equestrian moves, this artful medium is not going to help it look good or make sense. You've turned the horse into a black shadow, dropped acid, f***ed with perspective, ate the film reel, s*** f- it out again, and then cut it into a movie. Stop it. What?
0: What? I mean, I could tell what that horse is doing. That's not hard. He's acting like it's... You can't show off your equestrian moves because you can't see what's going on. I can tell what's going on. I can't help it if you can't see. Come back. Come back. To Mordor, we will take you.
1: Man, the movie really doesn't explain things very well. We know more about the beginning of time than any clue as to why the horse chase just stopped at the waterline, yell a bit, and then they start to cross the water. Where is the narrator when you need him?
0: I mean, like, who is the narrator though, right? We got the narration at the beginning by Gandalf because we needed just a little bit of backdrop to get us going with what was going to happen in this story. But that doesn't mean we're going to get a narrator for the whole thing. And the narrator of the story technically, for the most part, is Frodo. And from his perspective, he doesn't know why they're not crossing the river either. So he just knows that they're not. And that's the same position we're in. Which is fine because, narratively speaking, all we have to know is they're hesitating for some reason... And that is designed in part for us to be like, okay, why are they hesitating? What are they worried about with the river? And that is supposed to get us thinking, and then we're going to get an explanation of it later, potentially.
1: The Water Horse Sex Machina. I am here, and you are lucky to be here too, after all the absurd things you've done. Yeah, that's totally my fault that some old asshole sent me out into the wild with a possessed ring so I could be chased down and stabbed by ghost men. I'm such a dick for letting that happen.
0: Yeah, because dancing around in the prancing pony and getting the ring slipped onto his finger was not totally absurd and the most dangerous thing by far that he's done on this trip, and that was not totally all Frodo's fault.
1: You would have become like them, one of the ringwraiths. If it's that easy to create a ringwraith, why aren't they doing it to every random person they find on the road and raising a f***ing army of ringwraiths? What? First of
0: all, you're assuming they have the capacity to do that to large numbers of people. And we don't know that. Second, you can't go around just randomly assaulting people because sooner or later that starts to create way too much attention. And they're trying to accomplish a mission which they can't accomplish if literally everybody in Middle Earth is like, hey, those guys are bad dudes. We need to take care of them and then attacks them. Like, you. They're trying to be a little more subtle
1: than that. You have not asked me why I was late getting back to the Shire? Jesus, Gandalf, the kid just woke up from almost dying. Give him a moment to prioritize his thoughts and maybe take a minute to come to terms with the fact that the first thing on Frodo's list is 11 Zs and not a play-by-play of the Balrog battle. Balrog battle?
0: What are these guys even off-smoking? Like, that happens later. This is about Saruman. He's talking about his encounter with Saruman, which is nowhere near as let's say, intense, because it's all about, like, what he learned from Saruman, and being held captive by Saruman, there's no big fight, there's no big fireworks, there's no nothing to it, it's like, what, oh my gosh, these guys are, did they throw Balrog in there, because they're idiots, or because, I don't even, I I don't, I don't know, that's, that's a different one, um, I don't know what to make of that. What do you people think about that? What, I mean, seriously, what... I'm so confused.
1: I rode at once to Isengard. Well, we now thinks we need a flashback for something that happened less than 30 minutes ago, which is at least an acknowledgement that said 30 minutes actually felt like three days.
0: Well, the reason we're getting it is because now we're getting it with new context and, you know, the reason why he went there and how he escaped and all that stuff. So that kind of is important because we knew Gandalf was captured and we need to know how he got out and why he's here. And he has to explain this to Frodo because Frodo has been like, where's Gandalf and why is he not here like he was supposed to be? This actually does matter.
1: Elves and dwarves in their turn told what they knew of Sauron's preparations. Yeah, but did they have to do that while brandishing a weapon? This is a discussion, not a time to show off weaponry. Put the axe and the bow away. I mean,
0: yeah, it's a little weird that there's people at the council who are just holding handling weapons why would you do that (laughs) and it's a little strange but yeah so frodo learned at last the true
1: heritage of Aragorn. well good for frodo would you care to clue the audience in as well that's literally what happens in this scene and it is just possible that he may not notice the small quiet feet walking into peril but in a short time they've been on the road those small hairy feet have managed to draw all of the attention from ring wraiths to tavern people forgive me for expecting something more than just possible for your plan to save all of middle earth because the alternative is what exactly
0: certain doom and destruction because there's no way to beat sauron otherwise great though i do not know the way I think that this task is appointed for you, Frodo.
1: I know Galadriel's voice is described as deeper, but damn, she suddenly looks and sounds exactly like Elrond here. I'm
0: pretty sure this is supposed to be a joke, but I don't understand it. How? Why? Why are they saying that Galadriel looks like Elrond here when it's clearly Elrond? I mean, I think we've had it specifically said that this is Elrond, and... I don't understand the joke. Can somebody enlighten me? Peregrine Took and Maria Doc Brandybuck may
1: also go. And trusting the ring to Frodo is a pretty sketchy idea, but fine, it's fate or whatever. What I will never understand is why the fairly useless Merry and Pippin are allowed to go. Yes, they bring the Ents into the conflict, but there's no way that was part of this batshit plan. Again, like, how...
0: You have to assume so many things for this to be a legitimate criticism. Like, who were the potential candidates to go... Why were Mary and Pippin chosen? The film skips over a lot of that. There's more discussion in the book, because the book has time to do it. But, like, you can't just say, why are Mary and Pippin allowed to go? That's so dumb. It's like, well, but it's only dumb because you haven't thought about it at all, and because you're just assuming enormous amounts of information. Why not just trust that there's reasoning behind it, and... I mean, like, seriously, just stop with the assumption that if we're not told it explicitly, then it just doesn't exist. Oh, Gandalf will have that gate open in a minute.
1: What if he can't? Fireworks are all very nice, but this is elf magic. If only it had just come from a great city of elves that could have given you some sort of heads up. Or, better yet, what if you had a f***ing elf present in your party? Which helps them howl. He's an elf
0: from a totally different place, and they're in a kingdom that's been dead for centuries so like you're again the dumb level of the critique here is oh Pippin says it's elf magic and therefore any elf ought to be able to do anything and the people in Rivendell should have been able to tell them what to do and all this other stuff it's like you have to assume so much information to make that work. What are people you dwarves are for hiding things?
1: Wait, if this is a dwarven mine, why is it protected by elven magic? Yes, I'm sure the answers we seek are in the book, but we're sitting the movie and believing. you do not want us to start sitting books. Here they go again. We're not, we're not, no, no, we don't get to count the book. Well then stop referencing it. Stop. Meshlon! That sounded nothing like melon, and you know it. Yeah, I have to say that this
0: pronunciation of the elvish word melon by Gandalf is rather confusing, and I don't understand why they did it that way when it's,
1: I, yeah, I mean, there's really no getting around this one. Ah, Frodo's surrounded by two human warriors, an elf, a dwarf, and a f***ing wizard, and not one of them was on stay close to and protect the last hope for Middle-earth from tentacles duty. Okay, I, I, I want to say this
0: is just a joke, but I'm really not sure that it is, and if it's not that's like the dumbest criticism ever because why would you assume there's a giant tentacled monster
1: in the lake
0: i i uh, dropped a stone fool of a took throw yourself in
1: next time be quiet hey grumbledore it was your idea to pick this specific spot to rest in and all you've done is berate people for breathing too loudly if it's so dangerous why choose this spot to rest if it's so dangerous why choose this spot to rest The fact that there's
0: a well doesn't make it dangerous. It's the fact that Pippin's being an idiot that makes it dangerous. That's... (laughs) Mm. This is the level of stupidity that Cinnamon Sins sinks to these days. It's like, back when they did five minute videos where they actually rounded up legitimate criticisms and were done, they were actually a really funny channel. Now, they just nitpick the stupidest things based on nothing valid at all and this is one of them it's like the place they are is not dangerous it's Pippin's activity that was dangerous the entirety of Moria
1: is dangerous if you go around just making tons of noise you cannot pass William Squire does a fine job but this scene does not contain a Syrian McKellen and not nearly enough you shall not pass
0: Okay, the funny thing here is the Ian McKellen line, you shall not pass, is actually a deviation from the text of the book, which says you cannot pass at every specific point where that phrase or something similar is said. He starts saying you cannot pass, and he ends with saying you cannot pass. So, I mean, sure, you can critique as a joke and say that this guy's not as good as Ian McKellen, but I'm... Yeah, it's, it's just an interesting side note that the text actually has, you cannot pass, and therefore what Ian McKellen said is wrong.
1: The mirror shows many things, Sam, and not all have yet come to pass. Some never come to be. So the prophecy puddle is just slightly less useless than the Zodiac? This is one of those things that's just silly, like...
0: It's less useless than the Zodiac because not everything it shows will come to be. It shows not just future events, but also past events, current events, and and you don't know. And it's up to the wisdom of the user to make what they will of, of the visions they get. The fact that it may come to pass could be an indication of, as I'm not sure if it actually goes into this in the Bakshi film, it's been a little while... It might mention the fact that it's... but I can't remember. But anyway, in the book, Galadriel mentions, of course, that sometimes the things that you see will only come to pass if you turn aside to prevent them, which is a very Greek tragic kind of concept. I don't remember if she mentions that in the movie here, but it's an interesting point that, you know, the whole point of it is it's not just a simple... You know, this is the future, and therefore you can plan your life around it. That would be too convenient.
1: I pass the test. The music is telling me that this scene is whimsical and sober, but the delivery of the lines is about as bland as reading a grocery list. Okay,
0: I'll give them this one. The delivery of the line is a little bit weak. It could have definitely been voice acted better, or maybe it was the direction that was bad, and I don't know, but... It was not really that well done, considering what they're actually trying to cover with her passing the test.
1: In a few days, we will have to choose. Shall we turn west with Boromir and go to the Wars of Gondor, or turn east to Mordor and its Dark Lord? How is this even a question? The mission is to go to Mordor and destroy the ring. Boromir, Gondor. You stay with Frodo and torch that ring, damn it. Yes, but the question is, which way do
0: you go first? I mean, ultimately, the goal, obviously, is to get to Mordor and destroy the ring, but is it best to go straight to Mordor from where they are, or is it best to go to Gondor first? It's not, do we just abandon the quest? I mean, use a little sense and understand the context, please. May I stay and talk to you just for a while?
1: None of the others are wondering, hmm, I wonder where Boromir has disappeared to. He sure seems pretty keen on using the ring. I'm sure he wouldn't be trying to take it from Frodo by force. How do you know they're not wondering where Boromir is, you moron? The fate of the ring-bearer is in my hands no longer. The company of the ring has played its part. Only because you say so, asshole. By that logic, my parents could have claimed the same after losing me at Walmart. Alas, we valued our time with Jeremy, but as we reached the cashier with no child in sight, we knew our time together had come to pass, and our responsibilities as parents finally concluded.
0: I really want to give them the benefit of the doubt that this one is just a joke. Um, but I'm not sure it is, and they're pedantic, so I'm going to be pedantic and say that Frodo is not a child! They are alive!
1: One of them anyway. But this brooch doesn't mean shit. For all Aragorn knows, they could have been killed and eaten before, during, or after the brooch fell off. Okay, not a cheery thought, but it's better than false hope. That doesn't make any sense,
0: though, and you're obviously not thinking if that's the conclusion you came to, because if they were eaten before the brooch wouldn't have ended up here. So they were alive by the time they got here, presumably, because otherwise the brooch would have ended up somewhere earlier. If they were alive to this point, why would they be eaten later, or killed later? Like, the whole reason why this works is because the only reason it would be at this point and not somewhere earlier or later is because somebody put it there on purpose. Now, in the book, it's a little clearer because it's off the track and it's Pippin's footprints that lead him there, but even without that, it's like if the orcs were just gonna kill him, they would have killed him a long time ago, and the brooch wouldn't have fallen, or if it would have fallen, it would have fallen much earlier. If they haven't killed him to this point, they're not gonna kill him for some reason, unknown to the three hunters. This criticism is stupid. Thank
1: goodness for that rope the elves gave you. We'd never have gotten down that last cliff without it. The movie decided to show us two straight minutes of nondescript silhouettes running through an oil painting, but skipped showing us the dramatic scene of Frodo and Sam scaling a dangerous cliff face? Come to think of it, the movie also skipped the important to the plot scene of Galadriel giving the Eldon rope at all. What the f***? But we literally just
0: learned that they gave him the rope, so why are you complaining? Ugh. Also, showing the silhouettes against the backdrop is, admittedly, they spend a lot of time on that and that's kind of annoying, but do you really want to watch the hobbits climb down the rock face with a rope? That's
1: way more boring and less dramatically tense. We must find a place to camp, I suppose. Maybe there'll be a path tomorrow. What kind of logic is that? What, does he think that the Mordor city planning team is going to come around overnight and fit a new pedestrian overpass right to Mordor? Or maybe he's waiting for sunlight when they can actually see a path. Look, I know orcs aren't the most intelligent creatures in Middle-earth, but god damn it. If they're smart enough to create this defensive circle, they're smart enough to not leave this convenient gap and maybe even give a passing poke to this intruding horse as it gallops through. Now, this is
0: true. I mean, if they were going to make a defensive
1: circle, they wouldn't
0: leave a giant gap that a horse could get through, and that, yeah,
1: that was not particularly smart on the animators or whoever was making that decision. However, this guy is also a dumbass riding straight in on his own and getting immediately shot, so sins for all. Also fair. I don't even know where we are.
0: You should have studied maps more and played less in Rivendell.
1: But if he had studied the maps, how would the audience know where you are and why this place is important? Then where would you be, you fool of a took? I'm not sure I
0: follow the logic of this. If he had studied the maps, how would we know where we are? because you would both know that it's Fangorn? I mean, like... And you could reference that in some other way. I mean, it seems like they're trying to... If I understand the criticism, and I'm not sure I do, because this is another one of those where it's just like the way they do it is so bad. What I think they're trying to get at is the reference to the fact that Pippin doesn't know where they are gives Merry the opportunity to say, this is Fangorn and whatever. But if he had looked at maps and they both knew that they were in Fangorn, they could find another way to reference that fact. Without, it's not like that's the only way you can manage to convey that to the audience. Not that it conveys that much to the audience anyway, because Fangorn as a word just doesn't mean a whole lot, because in the movie we haven't gotten any exposure to the name prior to this point, so it's just a forest as far as anybody knows. Like, the
1: criticism makes no sense. The great danger is to Edoras. Saruman's orcs were attacked there within two days. And yet you still had time for this Saruman fake-out bullshit instead of rallying the troops or wondering where the f*** two-thirds of your previously intact fellowship is gone. Wait, what? How much
0: time do you think actually got wasted, quote-unquote, there? Like, Gandalf isn't pretending to be Saruman, per se. He's just coming up to them and he's hooded and cloaked and he doesn't spend that much time in that situation what it two days in the scheme of things he spent what two minutes maybe with aragorn legolas and gimli thinking about like and we can assume that they're going to tell him about what happened on the way to edoras because they're riding horses and it's like what else are they going to do to pass the time like again this is just like because it isn't explicitly said in the movie it can't have happened and
1: therefore there's a plot hole
0: stop Theodon's hundreds will face your tens of thousands!
1: Saruman has been conspiring with Mordor, poisoning the mind of King Theoden, and has raised the largest army of orcs the world has ever seen, and Gandalf never suspected something shady was going down with his old buddy. And once again, I'm sure there are tons of things in the book that make this more believable, but this movie decides to spend more time animating the individual toes on these hobbit feet than catering to anyone who hasn't read the books in the last decade.
0: Again, assuming tons of information... Gandalf has to go visit Saruman. We don't know when the last time he saw him was. He could have accomplished all this since the last time Gandalf knew anything about him. Why is this complicated?
1: I'd love to know who's taking the time to teach the orcs to carry a tune on these horns and why they think that's a good use of their musical skills.
0: It's not carrying a tune. It's a war horn. It's for calling people to battle. It's not a musical instrument, you idiot.
1: I will find Eomer and his riders. My armor! R.I.P. to poor Gandalf's eardrums after this needlessly loud exclamation. How do you know it's needlessly loud? Maybe he's telling somebody on the
0: opposite side of the hall to get his armor. We hate bagginses. Must have the precious.
1: A few minutes ago, we saw Sam berating himself for falling asleep instead of watching Gollum, but now it seems they've abandoned the idea of taking watches entirely and have developed selective deafness as Gollum monologues through the night about murdering them. How do you know Sam didn't try to stay awake in this scene? Also, we're hearing Gollum because we're the audience
0: and we need to hear what he's saying, but presumably he's either whispering quiet enough that they wouldn't hear or having an internal monologue, and this is just for the benefit of us as the audience. Like, this is how movies work. All of the important people survived this. All the important people survived this. Of all the things to sin in this particular scene... What they sinned was all the important people survive this. Like, maybe the important people aren't even on the rampart. The real thing they ought to be sinning here is that a bunch of guys are standing completely visible on the rampart while a hail of arrows comes over the wall, and they don't even bother to try to take cover. That's what they should have sinned in this scene.
1: You might come to this story because of the relationships that Tolkien wrote so passionately about. Or maybe for the themes of overcoming great odds and the ties that bind us together despite race or sex. This series is favorably one of the greatest adventure stories ever written, but this movie gives no shits about any of that and dives headfirst into becoming the longest and worst depiction of battle scenes to ever be on screen.
0: So what they criticize here is that we don't get a whole lot about the relationships in this movie and we spend a ton of time on what is a bad depiction of a battle scene. They don't explain why it's a bad battle scene. They don't explain why this makes it a bad movie. They just criticize it based on the fact that it's not like the book, which they said that's not
1: what... Okay. Listen, this is not how I remember the Battle of Helm's Deep going down. What happened to the exploding orc and Aragorn throwing Gimli? Damn it! I wish these adaptations would do a better job of sticking to the source material that inspired it. Clearly a joke and kind of a clever one. Great to see you, Gandalf. Now bring out that magic staff and vaporize some fools. Just gonna swing your sword around in the air? Cool, that works too. <laughs> okay, that uh,
0: that's actually a pretty fair criticism, because, like, why is Gandalf just meaninglessly swinging a sword around in the air? Uh, I've always been a little bit not super happy with that scene as well, so, like, okay, points.
1: The forces of darkness were driven forever from the face of Middle Earth. Well, I suppose there's no need to worry about that super dangerous mission of Mordor then. Better grab one of those big eagles and send word to Frodo and Sam before they, I don't know, get eaten by a giant spider or some sh- Yeah, fair enough. The,
0: the way they close this movie with this line, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I, I mean, they kind of try to tie it in by saying that this is like what happens in the next part of the story. but but why would you why would you close the movie this way it's such a it's kind of bizarre so there you have it i didn't cover every single thing they mentioned i skipped a lot of the obvious jokes and some of the ones even that were legitimate criticisms and some that i was just like i don't even know what to do with that uh but this gives you an overall flavor i mean There's a lot more obvious joking, but there is still plenty here that's just dumb, you know, idiotic criticism that doesn't make any sense. And I just wish CinemaSins would go back to the way they used to be. It would be a lot better if they would just be really short videos where they cover actual problems in a funny way and stop being this ridiculously nitpicky whatever it is now. It's just like... CinemaSins used to be good and funny. It really did, and it's just gotten away from that so bad. Now, if they start doing Rankin-Bass, I'm gonna have a cow. So, let's hope they never get that far. Okay? That being said, I hope you enjoyed this video takedown of CinemaSins. Please remember to subscribe if you want to catch more of my content. I typically do a lot more really deep lore-based stuff, and not quite so much of this kind of thing these days, but... You know, you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. Hit the bell icon on YouTube, make sure you don't miss any notifications, or follow me on one of the other video platforms. I've got links in the description for that and for my socials. And I'm also on Podcatchers, so you can catch me there as well. And you can support me over at Patreon or Utreon or YouTube memberships. And on Twitter, you can follow me for occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namariye. Thanks to all the channel supporters, especially Elf Friends P.A. Brew News, Tracy Meehan, Nathan DeFore, Paul Leone, and Oleg Gregg.